This is Still Rowing, a podcast where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Welcome to this Still Rowing podcast. I'm your host, Tara McCausland. And before I introduce our awesome guest, just a few housekeeping items. First, if there is a topic you'd be interested in us discussing on Still Rowing, please let me know. You can just go to stillrowing.com and fill out the form on the contact page. Also, if you'd like to share your own story of why you are still rowing, I would also love to hear from you. I can't interview everyone, but I would like to start reading your stories and sharing them on the podcast. So if you're interested, again, please go to stillrowing.com and fill out the contact form. Last but not least, if this podcast is helping you, would you do me a favor? Help me expand the reach of these stories of faith and please share this or another episode with someone who could use maybe a little motivation to keep growing. So thanks in advance for your help, friends. Now on to introducing our guest. Katie Mount is the co-host of the award-winning podcast, Marriage on a Tightrope. I think that's a really cool name, by the way. (laughs) She's presented at numerous conferences on the topic of mixed faith marriage. She also practices as a life coach with Symmetry Souls, specializing in mixed faith marriage and pre-marriage counseling. Katie lives with her husband, Alan, and four children in Murray, Utah. So a warm welcome to you, Katie. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. As I mentioned to Katie before, I've been wanting to interview someone for a long time (laughs) about this very subject, but because it's a little bit of a sticky subject um, and you want to be respectful of of spouses. It took me a while before I actually found Katie. And interestingly enough, Katie and I were friends in high school. So we're enjoying just getting reacquainted and <laughs> and visiting with one another. Um, but before we dive right into that, Katie, I wondered if you might share an experience or two from your earlier life that helped you develop a testimony. Sure. Well, uh, I come from a very strong spiritual background um, because I've got pioneers on my mother's side and I've got uh, Polynesian heritage on my father's side. My father is was born and raised in Tonga and if you if anyone knows anything about Polynesians you know that they are hyper spiritual and they're one of the most loving people you'll ever meet. So I I came from, I've got the pioneer stock and I've got the Polynesian stock and you combine those and you get a family that is very focused on Jesus Christ, very focused on the gospel and how to live our lives. And so that's kind of the environment that I grew up in. Uh, We were definitely the family who wore our church clothes all day on Sunday, who would uh, go on vacation and would find a church to go to. So that's, I think that kind of tells like what an Orthodox family I grew up in. 
Um, uh, my parents, I was watched them serve growing up and really had an impact on me. Um, when I was about 12 years old, uh, we had just moved to Utah from California and I had a sister who was born and about four months later she died of SIDS. And that experience I think was um, really an anchor in my life about uh, just about families and about forever families and about, you know, doing the best that I can here on this earth so that one day I will see my sister again. And that kind of was the guiding light um, that kept me going through my really hard teenage years. I was also the oldest in my family. And so there was a lot expected of me. And I am a person that loves rules. I love to know what I can and can't do. And even though as a teenager, I would give some pushback, I always made the right choice in my parents' eyes. If there was anything questionable, I just, I just didn't do it. I was a pretty believing and very straight arrow, straight and narrow path teenager and young adult. And, and so definitely with my sister passing, that was an anchor in my life. And then uh, I, I decided to serve a mission. And back then you couldn't go until you were 21. And so that <laughs> there was a, quite a bit of stigma around women who went on a mission back then, because the, the joke was that they couldn't find anyone to marry. And uh, funny enough, um, I went I served in the Spain Barcelona mission and uh, my very first day in the MTC, I met a group of six other people who would be my, you know, com my companion and my district for the next nine weeks. Uh, and we all became very close in friendship and we worked really hard together. My district leader, that first day meeting him was uh, my, my now husband, Alan Mount. And we went on the mission and had some really, really just faith affirming, um, lovely experiences there. And we returned home. And shortly after that, I got home since we went in the same day, I got home six months earlier than him and I dated around and he came home and then uh, it was actually our mission president who said to him that that he should ask me out. And so he he transferred. He was at UCLA playing volleyball and he transferred to BYU to play volleyball. And he um, we knew pretty, pretty quickly that we were going to get married. So he was home in June and we got married in December of 2005, um, of December. And anyway, so we had all of these really spiritual, cool experiences on the mission, both individually and together. And so uh, those were things that have kind of anchored me in the gospel up until this point. Well, thank you for sharing that experience with your, your sister who passed. As a note to my listeners, um, if you have been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I always ask guests to share a faith-building experience from their past to start. And I do this for a reason. I hope it will get you thinking about the faith-building experiences in your past. Um, I believe that so much of our ability to continue rowing, especially when things get hard, is remembering God's mercies and recalling those times when we saw his hand in our life and what's and what's drawn us to him 
like this experience that Katie shared. God wants to give us evidence of his love for us and the truthfulness of the gospel, but he also expects us to remember and act on what we've already received. And so for you, Katie, having had that experience of a sister passing, do you feel like that maybe made the afterlife more real then and knowing that there was someone on the other side that you were hoping to meet again someday? Yeah, of course. Um, She died at such a young age that I really felt connected to her. I slept in the same bedroom as her. And um, luckily, the the day that they found her, uh, I wasn't sleeping in that same room. But it was very traumatic, actually. And there were so many tender mercies about the whole situation that uh, I, I look back on it and I I can feel how, you know, bad things happen all the time to good people. But, you know, you always look for the good things that, that could come, come out of it. And definitely one of the blessings that came out of this is my um, faith reaffirmed in the fact that I'll see her again, that this life isn't just the only life we have. And that's really propelled me into where I am now. Thank you for sharing that. And so you also shared a bit about your history with your now husband, Alan. And that's kind of cool that you have, you have that shared experience in the mission, even though he's had a a bit of a shift in his beliefs. Those are, those are memories that I'm sure you, you still appreciate and enjoy talking about. The mission is, it's a transformative experience. (laughs) It's a hard business going on a mission. We know that Alan uh, in the past was was active. And as you said, he he served a mission. So tell me a little bit about um, how things progressed in your marriage and when things started to shift in his faith journey. Sure. So... We were married in the temple. We got married in the Salt Lake Temple. And, you know, life was seemingly great with all of its problems. Right? You never have pro- not have problems. It was new married life, student life, working, paying for school, having children. And we had our first one about a year and a half after after we were married. And um, and so as as we're hitting these milestones, um, things are going great in both um, in his life and in my life. And then it was 2014. Uh, Alan's dad, um, his parents, while they raised their children and their family in Santa Barbara, California, uh, just, (laughs) it's funny, like one of his siblings moved to this small town in Georgia. and, And shortly thereafter, a couple siblings joined and then his parents joined and his parents, his dad retired and bought his dream house on a lake and was enjoying sort of like the lake life um, with his wife and uh, three of the children with their kids were out there, three of Alan's siblings anyway. And um, Alan's dad was um, left one night to meet his son for a movie and he was in a, really critical accident. It was a drunk driver who swerved, well, who tried to pass a truck on a two-lane highway. And the first car barely swerved in time, but my father-in-law didn't have time to 
to swerve and was hit head on by her. And she left the scene and he was left there and passerby stopped and he was airlifted to a hospital and he lived for about a week before he passed. And that was a very difficult time for everyone. We were notified late at night and then the next morning they told us to come to the hospital because they didn't know how long he he would make it. Sorry. And so we we went to Georgia to be with the family and we were able to communicate him for the first couple of days and then he had surgery and slipped into a coma and ended up passing away. But I think that was the catalyst, I think, for the, the turning point for a lot of feelings that Alan started to have. And he wasn't really dealing with the pain very well. He, he had tried to go see a counselor a number of times, but felt very dismissed. And after a while, you know, he, it seemed to be getting better. And uh, I had my fourth child shortly after this happened. And he said, you know, I just really want to do some, some digging on, because I don't feel my dad there. You know, I think sometimes when a parent, you lose a loved one, you feel like you should feel that they're there or have a dream about them or some sort of sign or comfort that that loved one is waiting patiently or is engaged or just something like that, that you know that they're there. And he just didn't really ever feel like he felt his dad. And so at the time he was elders quorum president and he started to do some digging and see what he could research about just what we believed about the afterlife. And he went down the rabbit hole, as they call it. And he did a good year of digging and studying. And what he found out was things that he didn't like. He, he didn't like the things that he found, um, particularly with church history and some other things. And so um, this was in 2016, right after his dad died, until 2017. And, and it wasn't until the summer of 2017 that he clued me in to where he was at. That's when the shift began to happen. Is he, he told me he was going to do some studying, but I didn't realize like the depth or breadth of it until he came to me to tell me how he was feeling. And what was your initial reaction to that information? So I remember we were on a car ride to visit his family in Georgia in the summer. And we briefly were talking about the book Rough Stone Ro- Rolling by um, Richard Lyman Bushman. And he had asked me prior to this um, trip if I would read it you know, while we were in the car, because we had lots of time. And I told him yes. So I read it on and off. And as I read it, we also had these discussions. And he just mentioned to me that he didn't feel like eight was old enough to be baptized. And I felt really blindsided. I was very confused. I didn't understand why he would feel that way. And I was mad. I was really mad. I was very defensive. I was very upset. I I just went immediately to the worst <laughs> in my mind, to what was the worst. I felt betrayed. 
uh, I knew he was studying, but I didn't know that um, his he was feeling new feelings about his faith. So I definitely was going through stages of grief during that time. The other thing was I felt very alone. Um, nobody knew. No one knew. I feel like, you know, when you have an issue and a problem and you you want to tell people about it, but you can't because you're trying to figure out or come to a conclusion on your own. That's kind of how I felt. I felt like we were just getting into this and it would be unfair to tell, start telling people about it. Consequently, his siblings were going through some of the same things at the same time. So he had a brother who had left in, in 2017, 20, 2017 and in April of 2017. And this was now the summer of 2017. And so I, yeah, I, I felt, I felt really bad. I, I just didn't know what to make of it. I was feeling a lot of grief for, for all of it. And remind me how long after his father's passing, this came out. Uh, so let's see. Um, his father passed in 2013, excuse me, 2013. And then, um, I had my youngest and then he, it was like 2015 that he started to do some studying and, you know, we talked about it. So he, he'd done studying for a good year before he told me. Mm, okay. And this was like, it's the summer of 2017. Well, it sounds like all of that was really hard. I mean, starting with the passing of your father-in-law, which was very traumatic for you and for Alan and for your entire family, I'm sure. And certainly trauma, it just, it throws us off of our groove, to put it lightly. Um, so a hard loss and and certainly trauma causes us to question things that previously we, we may have just... Uh, got along for the ride, so to speak. Looking back on that experience, perhaps your initial reaction to him coming forward about his his changing beliefs um, and maybe a few months post as you're going through, as you described, um, grieving. Um, what would you do differently knowing what you know now? I know one of the big regrets that Alan has is that he didn't keep me informed all along the way. So it's not like he was reading something and then coming to me and saying, Hey, I didn't know this. Have you read this? Or did you know about this? There was no communication there. So uh, I think that that did damage for both of us because he kept it in and he didn't openly communicate with me how he was feeling. And I had no idea until he had been a year into it. So that is a huge regret. You know, one thing we always tell couples is you have to be very open and honest and communicative with the other person because not speaking does more damage than it does when you just try and talk about it. So that that's a definitely something that um, that we would have done differently. But I think that... It's normal to go through a grieving process when you feel like you're losing something. So my reaction of being confused and then mad and then 
kind of like down and depressed about it, trying to figure out what to do, I would never take that away. I think that's an important part of us um, learning and that's where a lot of growth happens. And so I think that that, those are all really good, normal behaviors that you have to feel. If you skip a step, you will be thrown back into that stage. It is important to, to follow those stages of grief. And I was pretty proud because I was very patient with the process. And so was Alan. And Alan's a very, um, he can be kind of an impulsive person and just make sort of snap decisions. But he was very patient with the process. And um, that really helped in us trying to gain our footing and deciding, you know, where do we go from here? I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you just shared, both about keeping communication open and also allowing yourself to feel through that whole process. In my last episode, which was just about pain in general, um, I talked about the need to feel in order to heal. Mm-hmm. And there's in, in all of the difficult things we might experience in this life, there's no way but through. I think that might be a term they use in, in addict recovery, but allowing yourself to feel the pain and grieve as you suggested, and and being patient through that process. I think so often we, we want to get on the other side of our pain, which makes sense. <laughs> Nobody likes to, to hurt in, in whatever way we're hurting, whether it be in our relationship or physically, um, but that is where the growth happens. And I, I'm excited to hear more about that as we talk about this, because I think even in these hard things that we can draw closer to God and, and ironically, I think even closer to our spouse, even if he's shifted in, in the way he sees uh, the church or uh, his religious beliefs. Um, but I, I suspect you and Alan have had many conversations over the past many months and years that involve complex issues and topics in the church. How have you chosen to approach these hard questions in this process? Well, I'll tell you at the beginning, it was just complete denial. (laughs) I mean, Alan would want to share something with me and I would immediately put up my defense guards and i didn't want to hear anything unless it came directly from the Quorum of the Twelve or the Prophet. And I, so that, I mean, I think that that's the wrong way about going about it. I think it's just how I felt. So that's what I did. I think that we use this analogy that Alan and I are in this boat and Alan stands up in our boat and he starts rocking it back and forth and saying, I think I see, I think I see a shark in the water. I I see something coming to get us. I see something bad in the water. And he's rocking the boat back and forth and back and forth, kind of like freaking out about what he sees in, in the water. And what do I do? I sit and I hold on tight because I do not want to fall out of the water myself. And I am holding on for dear life. And then he realizes what he's doing and it's not making me safe. It's making me feel bad. And in fact, it's doing the, having the opposite effect. It's causing me to um, 
go try and get farther away from him so that I don't myself um, feel hurt or get hurt or fall in the water. And so he realizes what he's doing. He stops and he sits down and he just patiently waits and he holds my hand and he says, I'm here and I'll talk whenever you want to talk. And I think that that's a good analogy for how this process has been for us. At first, he'd really tried to rock the boat and he wanted to share all that he had learned. And it was like a word vomit of, of information, things that he had taken a whole year to process that he wanted me to process in an hour's conversation. And that's just unfair for your spouse. It's unfair to expect your spouse to um, come to a conclusion that they had made in an unnatural way. So, you know, he has had months and months to study and come to his own conclusions in a more organic way. And here, this spouse wants me to come to the same conclusion immediately. So I think that that's the first thing is your spouse needs to recognize that that everyone has their own process. They need to stop rocking the boat. And this is in his words, not mine. But he he needed to stop rocking the boat and just be patient, sit down, hold my hand, and then give things to me in bite sizes that I could handle. And the key was when I wanted to know. And then I think it's very important that the way the the language that you use with your spouse is very indicative of of whether this is going to be a positive conversation or a negative one. So he said to me often, I think that this is good or I think this is bad. But then quickly as he saw that good and bad was very negative for me, negative and positive, but you know, mostly negative speak for me. He changed his words to, this is what works for me and this is what doesn't work for me. And so as soon as he changed that and we could say, we could talk about these complex issues in a way that was non-threatening, it made such a difference. You know, the gospel works for me. The gospel doesn't work for you. That's okay. How can we come together and talk about these things in a respectful manner. We always did so when we weren't tired, because when you're tired, um, it's really hard to think clearly. Sometimes, um, you know, these complex issues, I would say, I need, I need time to think about that. And so I would have time to think and to formulate my own opinion and how I felt about it. And then we'd come back together and talk about it again. And this wasn't... Um, either of us trying to try and convince the other person that they were right. At first it was, at first Alan wanted to convince me and I wanted to convince him. But as time went on, it became more about, well, here's where I'm coming from. And then I could in turn say, well, this is where, where I'm coming from. And we could talk about things in a much more loving manner. Now, this doesn't mean that we've held very tight to our own biases and beliefs. There are things that you, both we've talked about and we, we were like, well, we just don't know. You know, there's a lot of room for compromising and there's a lot of room for learning and growth. 
And I don't feel like he has taken away anything from me by learning and talking about these complex issues. If anything, I feel like I've gained a much broader view of the world, of my religion, of where I stand, where I belong in that, and what I want my participation level to be. So I think that it's a lot of people go into it feeling very scared about what they're going to talk about. And I put up those defense mechanisms. I didn't want to hear it. But after time and with the right communication tools to talk about these complex issues, you know, we've been able to do so in a very respectful manner. And it's taken a lot of practice to get there. And we made, a, I mean, everyone feels very emotionally invested in their own religion. And so sometimes we had to put emotion aside or if things started to get heated, we would have to take a break because um, these are real things that we feel very deeply about. So I really appreciate a couple of points that you made. One of them was that you didn't discuss things when you were tired there are times when we're just not at our best and certainly when it's 11 o'clock at night and we've had a rough day with the kids <laughs> or at work, that's not the time to bring up uh, sticky issues, especially uh, with our faith or maybe we're just having issues in our relationship. And so there's, there is a lot of wisdom in that just in general for any couple. But also I appreciated that you shared that the goal wasn't to persuade the other. And that can be hard because we want people to take our side, especially our spouse. We want to be able to share, as one friend has said, the intimacy of the gospel on your end, or he wants to be able to find validation in his his views. Um, but if we can take that element out of it and just share for the sake of sharing to communicate so that the other knows where the other one is at, if that makes sense. I think that's really powerful, but I, I would expect that has taken a lot of practice and that it's, it's not always easy, even now as you've been uh, navigating this for the last couple of years. But the other part that I wanted to point out was this, this issue of complexity. You had said that initially when he brought this information forward to you that he'd been studying, that you got angry and you were defensive. And I think that's a really normal reaction when we feel like people are perhaps attacking things that we hold dear. Um, but for me, as I've been studying more in depth church history and um, trying to understand better the difference between doctrine and policy and practice in the church, I recognize there is a lot of complexity in what we believe, both in, in our history and in our, and in our beliefs. And it, it's, it's my experience that as we approach that, without fear. And again, if your goal is to retain faith, you want to go to faithful sources. Um, but complexity, it shouldn't send up alarms, or red flags. Um, we see throughout scripture that when Nephi was commanded to kill Laban, or when Abraham was <laughs> asked to take his son and his only son and sacrifice him, that's complex stuff. And there's a lot of nuance in what we believe. But I think your approach is wise in not putting your head in the sand, um, but taking things step by step at your pace. And I think for all of us, 
as we're trying to navigate our unique faith journey, don't be afraid of complexity. But if you want to maintain faith, the sources that we go to, it makes a lot of difference. And so for you, and maybe this is a follow-up question to that same question, as you've been perhaps delving into more complexity, some of these messier issues, what sources are you going to to help you understand some of these things? So I think that this is tricky. Um, I think that you could easily talk about the gospel topics essays. And I think that you can point to that because that is on the church website. Uh, those are extremely complex, especially if you follow their own their own sources. Um, so I would say if you if you wanted to get a good idea that that would be a good place to start. I would just say find the sources that can be in the middle. So. I mean, I'll, I'll be truthful. I didn't want to hear things that were extremely hurtful or anti or, and let me preface by anti meaning um, that the intent of the information is to cause harm, right? So um, there's a lot of negative speak with, with some of these things. So I wanted to find something that was in the middle. So I, um, Rough Stone Rolling, Richard Lyman Bushman, that was a good one for me because I felt like it could give an accurate picture of what was going on and an accurate story of of the complexity of the ch- of church history. And yet he there was some faith base to it. But I didn't I also didn't want things that were completely very flowery and everything is hunky dory. Because to be honest, that's how what I thought. I, I thought growing up that everything was like wonderful and beautiful and we there weren't any problems. And so really diving into a lot of the complex issues, um, there were things that I was I, I learned that I never knew about about the church. And so I mean keeping with those types of sources, that's I would say that that's a very positive start. There are a lot of really wonderful people who don't have anything to do with our religion, who have also written books or you know blogs or podcasts that try to give a more objective view of of everything. And you can go to those types of sources, but that that's kind of where I've kept in that realm of people that are are more objective but have faith. So from your experience and your learning from the experience of others, because you mentor others who are in a similar situation, what would you recommend as not being helpful in a mixed faith marriage? I think what we talked about before, trying to convince your spouse of something that doesn't work. You need to respect that there is still individuality in your marriage. You know, when we're married, we're taught that we're one, your life is melded together, everything that you do, I do. I mean, that's kind of like the sort of pep talk we get when we when we first um, get married. But you find throughout your marriage, there's also, it's also important to maintain um, individual hobbies and interests. You do things together, but you also do things apart. And uh, I think 
that it's hard when you start off as a couple and you are on the same wavelength as far as faith goes. And then maybe one spouse decides that they don't believe that anymore. Then you're on two different wavelengths and you feel threatened by that because uh, this is what you started doing together. You were both in it. And then when one person jumps out, you say, wait a minute, now we're not as close as we once were, or now we don't believe the same thing. How can our marriage work? First, realize that we all have some individuality in in our own marriage. It's important to, um, especially when a spouse changes belief, it's important to foster what what it is that you um, want to believe or what you want to stay firm in. And, you know, and, and that's not just spiritual wise. It may, it may be in your activities outside hobbies and, and everything like that. So, um, I would, I would say that that that's really helpful to remember. Um, using like divorce. I, I mean, when Alan first told me, <laughs> when he first told me that he had questions, I did not handle it well. I he he said that he told me right after I had my last baby and which was 6 years ago and I honestly don't remember this conversation and I always joke that you can't tell someone who just had a baby or who was pregnant something like this because it's very it can be they're already feeling emotional and and this can be very hard for them. But he said to me, you know, I'm having questions about the the church. I just have some questions I need answered. And, and, um, what I said was, you know, if you ever left the church, I would divorce you. So what did he do? He immediately pushed it down, just ignored how he felt, stopped studying and then picked it up again a couple years later. And, and so I think don't immediately spout out, Oh, divorce is on the table that is threatening for you and your spouse. For those who who go through a faith crisis like Alan, um, it is a painful process for him. It was a very painful process to deconstruct how he had always felt and believed. And when he finally told me, I was so focused on my own pain. Um, I was mad at him. Why are you doing this to me? I felt it was something that he was doing to me. And I think that you've got to remember that your spouse is in pain. You are both in pain. And it may be for two different reasons, but you're both feeling hurt. And when Alan and I finally put that together, that he was hurt and that I was hurt and that we could console each other in our pain, it made a huge difference in our marriage because all of a sudden, we're not on opposite ends. Now we're coming together and we're consoling each other for different reasons, but we're both feeling sad and hurt. And so I would say, as Brene Brown says, when you, when you feel that pain, you're going to feel like you want to pull away, but that's actually when you need to lean in to your spouse. And I feel like one of the more beautiful things that have come out of our relationship is we were there for each other during the hardest, most difficult, painful time. And because of that, we feel more connected as a couple and we feel closer than ever. So 
make sure that if this is what's happening in your marriage, don't turn away, just lean in. And it doesn't even have to be that you're communicating about it, but that you are telling each other, I am here for you and I love you and we'll work through this together. Hmm. That's really powerful. I appreciate your sharing Brene Brown's words. She's, she's one of my favorites. <laughs> and I, I suspect again, that, that that might look hard in real time. Um, Cause you may feel like you're just living on totally different planes, but recognizing that you're, yeah, you're both, you're both wounded and, and finding ways to express love and communicate love and not bring, bring in those, those things in conversation that are uncomfortable, especially when you're both feeling high levels of pain on a particular day or because of a specific situation that may have come up. So then on the other side of the coin, you've told us a little bit about what not to do. What would you say is helpful in navigating this issue in your marriage? Uh, Maybe a few to-dos as well as What boundaries have you set so you both feel safe in your relationship? So I think that you both need to go through the stages of grief like we, like I expressed earlier. That is a very important part. Once you get out of the more critical phases of those stages, you can start to formulate what now. Um, during those stages of grief, I had to let go of any expectations I had for my future. And that included serving a mission that included, you know, Alan and I served our mission together and I always thought maybe we would go back and he would be a mission president there and we could live in Spain and it would be awesome. But I really grieved, um, the period that I, I wouldn't be doing that anymore. Um, I let go of expectations for my own children. Um, there's a lot of expectations around uh, what you see for the future. The church is really great at laying out a plan. And you know from birth what that plan is. And so having an an unopened plan for your future can be very scary. It was scary. Um, letting go of my expectations meant I didn't know what was going to happen in the future. And, you know, I think too, as women, we, we want safety and we want security. And so while my husband saw it as, saw it as a great adventure, I saw it as um, like my life was crumbling. So, you know, something that would be helpful is, is just to let go of those expectations while you're in the stages of grief. Um, grieve over those. And you're going to feel waves of grief. That's the other thing is, you know, I would think that I was over something and then and then something new was brought to light. I can remember last Easter, we were sitting at, at church and um, all of a sudden it dawned on me that Alan might not believe that Jesus Christ was a divine being. And I turned to him during the hymn and I said, do you believe that Jesus Christ was divine? And then we both kind of just broke out laughing because it wasn't a funny thing. The funny thing was when it was happening. It was on an Easter Sunday during the first Easter hymn that I brought it up. And, you know, just when you think like you've talked about everything, another wave will hit you and you'll go back into that discomfort and that pain. But then you're much you're it's much easier to 
pull yourself up, like buoy yourself up after you you feel that. So um, that's just like a it not it's not like you grieve over it once and then it goes away. It, it, it'll be a continual process, but definitely taking breaks. There are times that we've we've gone a couple weeks saying I cannot talk about anything church related for the next week. And so we'll take a break. Um, it becomes very heavy, very quickly. So make sure you set those boundaries up. Another boundary that we had was sometimes I would say, okay, I'll give you five minutes. Let me process and I'll come and talk to you in my own time. So if that's what you feel like you need in order to just be patient with the, with it and get through. Make sure that you recognize what feels good for you. If, if it's taking breaks altogether, if it's just allowing a certain amount of time, um, then do that. You're just going to figure out what's best for you. Um, and then also, one of the one of the first things we did is we decided to find common ground. So what were the core values that we both still had and still believed in? Because I think that in a field full of daisies, you can look out and see that one or two red flowers and that's all you can see because that's all you're drawn to. And in this situation, you can be very drawn to just that one thing or two things that you're having a hard time with, but you don't look for the other things that you still have in common. So do sit down and write down what your core values are. What do you believe in? What do you both find common ground in? And then you can grow from that. And that was super important for us at the beginning. You know, Alan said to me, I recognize the very spiritual experiences I had both with you and on the mission and before. And I don't take anything away from that. I hold those very sacred to me. But I realized that now moving forward, I may not have those same things again. So, you know, he could respect the past, but he could also move forward with a different paradigm. And um, we did so together. And so that would be my my advice in your own marriage is, is just to set those boundaries. Um, those boundaries don't mean don't talk about it at all because that actually causes more damage than, than it does good. But when you do talk about it, set the expectation of how you would like to speak about it, what works versus what doesn't work. Um, speak in a language that won't be threatening to your partner. And then also just make sure that you just feel those stages of grief every time they come because they'll, they'll they're like waves they'll lap up and may be stronger than others and you may think you're fine and then it may come and you're not fine and that's okay it is okay to feel that way i really like that idea of of being that intentional sitting down with your your spouse and talking about what are our core values because I think that that's perhaps one of the greatest fears for the believing spouse is how is my partner going to change in their lifestyle and what what choices are they going to start making because they no longer believe in the gospel or believe in God. And so I think that, at least for me, that seems like that would, that would offer um, some sense of safety and understanding of this is what we as a family 
still value. And these are these are the lifestyle choices that we will continue to make um, just as a, as a guide, I think, for, for both people. And as one spouse may start to veer, I think that would be helpful for the, for the believing spouse or alternatively to say, hey, this is what we talked about. And not to say that we can't be flexible, but recognizing that core values as a, as a couple, as a family, that provides stability and safety. So then you, you had brought up uh, the kids. How are you approaching teaching the, the kids the gospel, determining how much the children are involved in church activities, and what are you doing that's working for you and your family? You know, I think that this is the number one question we get is how do we negotiate the tenders, right? The, the, the children, how do we negotiate what happens with them? Um, we are equal partners, so we both can have an equal say in how we want them to be raised. Um, this has been the most challenging part, right? If it was just me and my husband, we could <clears throat> sort of decide what we, what I want to do, and what he wants to do, and then come together. But with children, it's 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 kind of a mixed bag, and it can be the most difficult part. So, it, for a while, it was very difficult um, not telling them what was going on uh, until we really knew what we wanted to do. For a time period, Alan stopped going to church and. That was a conversation that was um, hard to have. And well, what we thought, I think in our minds, we built ourselves up thinking, this is going to be a really awful conversation. I do not know how my kids are going to take it. Um, you think of the worst, right? And this is what we did. We thought of the worst. And when we sat down and said, you know, dad, dad isn't going to be going to church with us anymore. And the kids said, why? And I was the one to say, you know, dad, dad doesn't really believe it anymore, but I do believe it. And I still feel like there's value there. And dad feels like you will get value there. So we're still going to go, but dad won't be with us. And rather than have this big reaction, we thought they would have, they said, okay. <laughs> and mind you, they were they were younger at the time. I mean, they were 12, 12, 11 or 12, 10. And then my young ones. So you definitely would have a different reaction with teenagers or older children, especially adult children. But our kids were very easygoing about it. One thing that we did is we laid the groundwork. So we talk a lot about agency in our family. We talk about you know, what's good versus what's not good, what's an opinion versus what is hurtful or harmful for someone. And so we really wanted our kids to understand that there are ways to talk about differences in a healthy manner. So we've gone to the kids on a number of occasions and we pretty much, we openly communicate with them. You know, um, my son recently got the priesthood and that was a very difficult situation for me and my husband because, um, you know, it was something my, my son wanted my husband to do it and uh, he couldn't. And that was a hard conversation. 
I think that the advice that was given before was, well, you always need to be on the same page. And we've learned that <laughs> to be false. You know, we will go to the kids and we'll say, you know, this is what mom believes and this is what dad believes. And we want you to think about what you believe and then come to us. My son, we gave him the choice to if he wanted the priesthood or not. We said, you know, here, here's the facts. This is what the priesthood does. Why would you like to hold the priesthood? And my son said, well, I want to pass the sacrament. And my husband said, well, then that's a great reason to get the priesthood because you'll be able to pass the sacrament. You'll be able to, to do the flag if you want. Um, that would be, a, that's a good reason. If that's what you want to do, then that's a good decision to go ahead and do. And I can imagine that, I mean, that was very hard for my husband because while he didn't believe it anymore, um, but I did, he allowed our child to choose what he wanted to do. And that's what he wanted to do. Our eight-year-old is going to be baptized in April and she, she 100% wants to get baptized. She believes in Jesus. She wants to follow his example. And while my husband feels like that's very, it's hard because she's such a young age, um, she, he respects her decision. Now on the flip side, I have an older son who is 14 and, or he's just about 14 and he does not like church. He told us that he doesn't really know if he believes in God. Um, he doesn't know if he wants to have religion in his life. You know, one of the things that we've talked to him about is that it's important to learn how to be kind and how to serve others. And right now for us, church is a good way and a good opportunity to give us that. So while he's living in our house, he will still go to church with us. But we also respect his choice not to pass the sacrament. He doesn't want to. And I am not going to force my child to do something he does not absolutely does not believe in or does not want to do. And so it goes both ways with our kids. Um, we are very open um, and we communicate with them about this a lot. We let the kids have their own opinion and their agency. We let them speak and demonstrate how they feel. But we also lovingly guide and support them. I think that even without Alan feeling the way he does, I think my oldest will have has always felt the way he has about church. And um, but now I feel like I'm I'm better equipped to help him through um, what he's thinking and feeling. And you know we all have agency, and that's one thing that we are trying to help our children understand. And just because you have agency doesn't mean that there aren't consequences, both positive and negative. So any decision that's made, we talk about the positive and the negative consequences. And this isn't the, like my belief versus Alan's belief. And it's not pitting one parent against the other. It's just expressing um, that we can love each other but still disagree. And I think that that's a really important model and a gift that we give our kids is that they can understand what it's like to be in a marriage and a relationship and in a family where we may have different opinions, but we still love each other. Well, that's actually a great segue to this next question because I, I wanted to talk a little bit about this concept of agency because we do believe in agency strongly mm -hmm. <laughs> and God wants us to have the ability to choose our own path 
And I believe he expects us to love others where they're at, whether it be our spouse or our children, our neighbor, regardless of where they're at on their faith journey. I also believe that God is very merciful, that he loves all of his children, regardless of whether they know him or love him. And he will give us time to figure things out well beyond this mortal life. However, that doesn't always make it easy to give a spouse or a child the space to live as they choose. And I don't mean this in any disrespectful way, but the believing spouse may feel like they have more to lose by staying in the marriage. They may feel like they're giving up, as you had described, the the hopes and dreams of the future um, or the hope of an eternal marriage. And the what ifs can probably create a lot of messy emotion. So how do you combat that fear of the what ifs and still support your spouse on their unique path? And you've already spoken to this, but is there anything else that you might share in regards to that? I think that personal revelation is key. And I feel like all along the way, from the very first time Alan told me that he was going to do a deep dive into studying, I felt peace. I felt calm. I felt good. And I said, you know, I think that whatever happens will be the best outcome. And so having known and felt that, and then going through the grief and pain that I went through, I, I can't help but recall back to that moment that I felt so much peace about him doing what he needed to do in order to get the answers he felt he needed. The path looks different for everyone, but like I can relax and feel good about the decisions I make because I'm following my own personal revelation. It seems counterintuitive that we would come closer together, but we have. We've grown closer. We have a deeper love for each other, a deeper understanding. You know, I saw, I mean, I've seen the last couple of years of how I feel like he has really suffered in um, the things people have said to him, in how he's tried, he's prayed, he's worked, he's he's done everything he can to stay a member or an active member of the church and he just can't. And nobody knows that struggle unless you're living with it every day. And it's something that I was privy to every single day. And he was privy to my pain every single day. And because of that, I have a deeper love for him. And also I believe in a very merciful God that he can see the struggle and, and he can see that, you know, we're just trying to make the best decisions for our own families and for ourselves as we can. And because of that, it'll all be made right after. I've thought a lot about, someone said to me, um, well, are you upset that your husband can't take you to the celestial kingdom? And that really, um, really upset me. And I I thought about it. And I listened to a podcast called The Prodigal God. And it really um, changed my mind. I, the, just the basis of it was that we get to the afterlife, we get to the celestial kingdom. And, you know, you realize that 
your spouse is somewhere else. And so you leave to be with that spouse and then someone realizes you're gone and they leave. And it's kind of this anecdotal, what if everyone left to be in the same place as their spouse or their loved one? Like, where would that leave God? And, and it's kind of this um, story that like, maybe God would come to us and say, you know, we all deserve to be together. And after I listened to that, it actually brought me a lot of peace and a lot of hope because I believe that God does know our hearts and that he, um, I wouldn't want to be somewhere where my, my husband or my kids aren't and all will be made right. And so I, I don't feel like I've, I've been slighted in the least. I did it first, but I, I don't feel that, um, I'm taking away anything. If anything, I have a bigger and um, a capacity to feel compassion and love for those who don't feel fit the mold, who aren't in the church, but have a lot of really good to offer. Because I think that there's a lot of good out there, a lot um, that people have to offer of light and knowledge and truth. And I think that that has been a gift to me rather than um, hasn't taken away anything. I really love that, Katie. I believe that all will be made right. And God does know the desires of our hearts. And I talked about this in a previous episode about God's inclusive and grand plan for all. Um, But I believe that God is far more merciful than we often give him credit for. And that he will continue to reach for all of us through our lives and well beyond Uh, I'm grateful to know that as well. When you grow up, I think things tend to be more black and white just because it's harder to to process the gray (laughs) when you're young. But as I have grown and I recognize and believe truly that God loves all of his children, I'm coming to know more of the grace of Jesus Christ and what that looks like in the lives of all of God's children. And so hopefully that, that knowledge, as you have experienced it and and gained it through this hard thing. Hopefully, as as a membership of the church, we can start to see that bigger picture. Because if we just think about things right here and right now, it's going to feel really unfair. <laughs> and a lot is not going to make sense. But if we think about it in the grand scheme of things, that this mortal life is just a moment in our existence, um, that we really do come from a God who loves us and will feel after us, that we can believe in a, in a bright future for ourselves, for our, for our spouses, for our families, for all people. So before I ask you this last question, you're doing a lot of great work with, with couples who are in this situation. Where can l- the listeners of this podcast find additional resources if they're interested? So the reason why we started our podcast, uh, Marriage on a Tightrope, was because um, I was feeling extremely alone. I thought I was the only one going through this. Um, in fact, I I approached a stake presidency member early on, and I said, is there anyone I can talk to? You don't have to give me a name, but I just need someone that could give me some guidance or some counsel or a roadmap because I don't know what I'm doing. And I feel like I don't know anybody else in this situation. And he thought about it and he actually told me that there wasn't anyone. 
And I, I was kind of like baffled by that. And I went home and I was feeling really, really depressed about it. And I thought, okay, one of two things is, is happening. One, either people are, are just leaving altogether um, or uh, they're not talking about it because there's there really are no resources available. And so that's when I told my husband, you know, we should start this podcast. And we started two years ago. And we just, we started by just um, doing the podcast, Marriage on a Tightrope, and then people started to ask us to go to dinners, and so we went to dinner with people, and then we had meetups, and then it kind of became this big thing that all of a sudden, not only are we not alone, but there are people all over the world who are experiencing the same thing, and they really just are needing some help. And so... Um, just recently, Alan and I have teamed up with um, this a woman named Natasha Helfer Parker. She is a um, therapist. She's a mi uh, mixed faith marriage therapist as well as sex therapist. And um, we created a course for people to go through. It's a webinar and Anyway, we start next month and I'm like super excited about this because for a year I've been telling Ellen, like, I wish there was a handbook. I wish there was a way. And so with the help of her, we've created this webinar where we'll have six weeks of lessons where people can just learn about what a faith crisis is and, you know, how do we talk about these things in a healthy way and how do we... Uh, negotiate the hard things and what do we do with the kids and so I'm really proud of the work we've done um, and if you want any more information you can email us on marriage on a tightrope we are on Instagram we have a private Facebook um, group but we have a couple thousand members and um, so if there if you are in need of any resources please reach out um, to us and we would be happy to answer any questions or to help or if you want to just go check us out on Instagram that's an easy way to find us or of course um, our podcast Marriage on a Tightrope in your podcast app awesome well you're doing important work Katie and perhaps this is kind of like your mission <laughs> in, a, in a unique sort of way so hopefully you feel that that while your life has maybe not gone the way you expected it, and often that is the case, perhaps this is precisely why you were here, <laughs> why you were born to, to do this work. So to end, why, after all of this, are you still rowing and choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ? I have a lot of hope. I think... For a long time, I didn't. I thought for sure at the beginning that I didn't know if my marriage would make it. I didn't know what my life would look like. I had a lot of fear. But I've really tried to anchor myself in Jesus Christ and his teachings. And beyond all the messy, difficult topics that have to do with church, I just keep coming back to personal revelation. I come back to Christ's example. I come back to the promptings that I get 
the feelings that I get and what works for me. And right now the church works for me and it's my community. It's what I love. It's where I feel safe. It's where I feel good. It's where I feel uplifted. And right now it, it it's, it's a very um, important part of me continuing to help other people. You're right. I, it does feel like a mission. When I think of it in that perspective, I, I think of my own mission and what I was able to accomplish, but I feel like the mission that I have right now has been more far reaching and more fulfilling than I had previously thought, never thought it would be this fulfilling, but it is. That just tells me I've got a loving father who knows me, who knows my situation, who loves me, who loves my husband, who has my husband working just as hard as me to help other people in this process. And that's why I still row. (laughs) Thank you, Katie. Thank you so much for your wisdom and for spending this time. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Still Rowing Podcast. The views expressed here are not necessarily the views of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, nor is this podcast affiliated with the church. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to receive updates on future episodes. You can submit comments or questions at stillrowing.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.